Okay. Okay. Here we are. Backyard Professor Live Sunday Library Hour. <laughs> and there's absolutely nobody here, and I can't blame you because I don't quite yet have this set up as a total program yet, but I'm working on it. So I have a lot of really good, interesting news items I'm going to share with you just as soon as people start filtering in, if they do. If you don't, well, it's your loss. I will talk to the camera, and then you can watch the recording. So I've got a few nice things to start saying. Hey, Mark Crispin, welcome. Thank you for showing up. I think a few people will filter in. I'm going to do a uh, kind of a news spiel with news with Mormonism in the news, and then I've got a couple of uh, I've got a couple items like a book review. And hey, Ruth, how are you? Good to see you again. Uh, now that I know this is being recorded, you guys just missed the first couple of minutes. Well, it's great to be back, Mark. I will. Uh, I suspect I'm going to do this uh, every week. So Sunday nights is a good night. Uh, you'll notice how much nicer my camera is. I'm on my new Mac, so that will help. I'm going to uh, share some news. I'm going to share some ideas on what's been happening in Mormonism this month. Some really wild shenanigans. Then I've got a book review, and then I've got a little bit of a spiel to share about our psychology in handling Mormonism, in dealing with Mormonism, and trying to figure out what do we do now, whether we have left or whether you have to stay in, however you work it. So anyway, oh, it looks like there's 11 people here already, 13 people. Welcome, everybody to the Backyard Professor Live Sunday Library Hour is what I'm going to call this series or something like that. Sunday Fireside Chats kind of sounds Mormonish. Sunday Chats would be a fun one. If you have any ideas, let me know. In the meantime, let me get started. It looks like there's 13 people here. Oh, I've already got one like. Holy cow. I've been blabbing, saying nothing for three minutes and you liked it? <laughs> All right, we are going to have some fun tonight. I have some zany stuff to share with you, man. I'm telling you, look, it's not my fault. I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. But man, Mormonism and some of the Mormon people are zany. I am amazed at how crazy some of these people get. So, Anthony, ah, Backyard Fireside, you like the idea of Fireside, huh? Well, I could do that. Fireside chat, something like that. But Sunday nights, I mean, most of us are, what, watching football? Who wants to do that? That's boring. So, well, not really. It's almost the Super Bowl. Woohoo! Dan, did I, dang, did I get here? No, you just missed the first couple of minutes. I'm just introducing my topics and all that. You're all good, Mike. You didn't miss a thing. I just got on four minutes ago. So you're all good. Hey, SNN Heather. Hey, Professor. 
yeah, let's get to the shenanigans. I'm on the way. I'm not kidding. <laughs> we have some fun stuff. Okay, 15 people. That's a good enough group. You know, that's like a miniature, that's like a miniature fireside group, right? And everybody else who comes in late will just have to be late. I've got to chat for the first couple of minutes just to let people show up. I didn't I I, I knew there was going to be a couple people, but anyway. Oh, thank you, Mark. I, I am more important than football, too. Oh, hey, Anthony's got it. Watch both football and me. Yeah, yeah. Shut shut the mic off on me when the good plays are going on, and they shut the mic off the football when I'm making good plays, right? I'm going to make some touchdowns tonight. Let's get started with this. I want to uh, – I have a lot of dear friends on message boards who have been sharing – Many interesting, unique uh, situations that are happening within Mormonism, either from the church leaders or from some of the members or some of the scholars, and uh, I, I mean, some of the some of the crap BYU is pulling just kind of drop, drops it, drops your draw. <laughs> it drops your. It's mind-boggling what these guys do. Yeah, I am. I am dressed pretty spiffy. Thank you. I thought, well, you know, I got to look good sometimes for the camera. So I thought I'd put on my old uh, good looking jacket. Hey, I want to share something exciting with you right off the bat. Uh, I got my I got my new Macintosh because the editing capability and my my video editing and so on and so forth. Right. So in the process, well, 20 years ago, when I was on my old Mac, it had a software program called GarageBand. And I tinkered with it, and I had a lot of fun with it. This new GarageBand just blows my mind. <laughs> it is so cool. It is so fun. So here is my first... Oh, no, 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 no. Don't start yet, you idiot. Here is my first song that I did on my GarageBand. It's only a minute long, so just be patient. But this is my first attempt, and not bad for a first attempt. My wife liked it so well, she said, shoot, man, put that as your jingle in to introduce your videos. And I, I may very well be doing that, so. Let me get the button ready. I I know I'm not techno savvy with all this technology stuff yet, so I recorded it on my phone. It's probably not going to be as good as if I could pull it up on the computer. I am going to learn how to do that. Just be patient with me, man. All right, here we go.
Not bad, huh? Tim Rathbone, welcome. Uh, that is my first garage band song that I produced on my garage band on my new Mac. So I thought I'd share it with you guys. So, and, and I'm not techno savvy to put it through the computer and all that. I'm learning that. I'm studying that. So anyway, so that's my first song. So a little bit of music to introduce it. Uh, here we are. We're uh, eight minutes in. I got to get going here. Thank you, Mike. Did my husser start? I, I don't know what you mean, Tim. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I will I will put this jingle on a uh, on an actual YouTube video uh, once I figure out GarageBand. I've got a lot more. I'm writing a third, a second, and a third song. But anyway, okay. So here is the news. I'm going to share some news that happened in Mormonism. The first thing I want to share with you tonight, all, and thank you all for coming. Hey, Anna Skelton, welcome. Uh, new news this afternoon. Now, this news we got about a week ago from Dan Vogel, excellent Mormon historian, who is, I'm not going to call him an anti-apologist because he is not a polemicist. He is a serious scholar who wants to look at the details, see what lines up and what doesn't. John Gee interviewed with the president of FAIR. Yes, the, the group I helped found with Daryl Barksdale and Julianne Reynolds long time ago. I'm one of the original of the three founders. Scott Gordon interviewed John Gee two weeks ago, three weeks ago sometime this month, and it was a private interview that only select people could attend, and then after they, I suppose they wanted to avoid hecklers, and then after they were done interviewing, they, it was a week or two before the video was allowed to be seen. Well, Dan Vogel, Dan the man, responded to John Gee. Now, here's the name of Vogel's uh it's Vogel Responds to John Gee. It's on YouTube. Vogel Responds to John Gee. January 19th, 2022 is the date of his video. Now, a couple of items that I'd like to talk to you about with, with uh, Dan's response here. That uh, Good evening, Sean Burke. And... Yes, yeah, Tim Rathbone says it was a great response by Dan, and it was. It was just, what Dan did is he just straight forward discussed each issue John brought up in his interview. Now, Scott reviewed, Scott interviewed Gee for maybe an hour, right? And Vogel's response is about an hour and a half. It's worth every minute. I was surprised and impressed at how thorough Vogel did this. He would take a clip of the interview, and then he would respond to that clip. Then Gee would make another claim, and Vogel responded to that claim. And then Gee showed off some of the hieroglyphics, some of the papyri, and he got down to the nitty-gritty to where he was describing each individual Egyptian character and trying to show the significance of the relationship 
between the characters on the papyri, the characters in the alphabet and grammar, how it did or did not relate to a lost longer scroll, etc. And then Gee basically dissed the catalyst theory. Gee is still stuck in the groove <laughs> that he made up 15 years ago of there is a missing longer scroll. Not once did Gee ever mention Robert Rittner. Actually, Gee never mentioned anybody by specific name, nor responded to any specific criticism. The amazing thing is, when Scott asked John, how come when I come on the internet, people are always saying, well, John Gee isn't a very good scholar, or John Gee is, his arguments are no good, and, and he's not a nice guy, and he's not really a good scholar. And John... <laughs> just blew my mind. He basically said, well, and I'm not exaggerating. John is so lifeless in this interview. I thought they were going to have to give him CPR. I mean, what is it with Mormons afraid of showing a little bit of life, a little bit of energy and enthusiasm and love for a subject? Why in the hell do you have to always bore us all to tears? Man, live it up. Your heart is beating. Show some life already. Anyway, I'm on a diatribe. Sorry, but good gosh, these idiots have got to quit mimicking the deadheads in general conference. They are just boring as death. So John responds and he says, um, well, I, I, I don't know why they say that. I think it's just basically um, a poisoning of the well. And they don't go into any details. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no details. No details? Are you kidding me? John Gee, it is all of the details that is wiping you and Carrie Moolstein out. It just, it just blew my mind that he said no detail. Nobody gives any details. It's all, it's all generalities. They're just biased. And then he pulls out this old camard. <laughs> Hello, you guys. Then he pulls out this old canard. Well, when Jesus taught the truth, they persecuted him too. And they reviled him. We're not reviling you, John Gee. We're destroying your stupid apologetic argument. No one has done that better than Robert Rittner and Dan Vogel. And, well, Brent Metcalf is a, well, and Chris Smith, and, well, and me, and, oh, well, and a, a real dear friend of mine, Paul Osborne on the, I mean, there, there's, let me share a clip of the Dan Vogel response. Again, I apologize. I did this on my phone. I had no choice. Um, I promise I will begin to get better. I will begin to get better savvy. 
But here is my response. Mr. Geek, if you are listening to this video, please do not confuse my critique with religious persecution. It is not. My plea to you is to stop inventing these silly arguments. The lost scroll and reverse translation theories are amateurish to say the least. And your objections to the sequel theory are nonsense. I think it's time that you reconsider the catalyst theory advocated by some of your colleagues or preferably the pious fraud theory. Why is it on the internet some people think you're such a terrible scholar or a terrible, such a terrible person? Why, why does that come up? Um, I don't know. I, it, well, now you know, Mr. G. I'm Dan Vogel. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Salam! I love how just spot on straightforward and scholarly, no jingos, no obfuscation, no overly elaborate, ornate fluff language to hide the fact that you're snowballing us. None of that in Dan Vogel. So that's, that's my news item number one. Dan Vogel's new video out. Vogel response to John Gee on the YouTube. If you haven't seen it, I promise it's a treat. It's an hour and a half. Well worth the watch. All right. Next on my news item is. <laughs> oh, Medallia. Thank you. That's very nice. T.O., how are you? Marco Brackeff, how you doing? Okay. My next news item that I want to share that's happening within Mormonism. I've also got a couple of clips that I want to share with you because. For the last, oh, let I'm going to say 10 years because this is how long I've been on the uh, Dr. Shade's message board. Now, and, and I agree off and on, it probably becomes pretty harsh against Dan Peterson, but that's because Dan Peterson has been pretty harsh. Him and Lou Midgley have been pretty harsh for the last decade, and they were very harsh when they were running farms, right? So he's getting his karma back. No, he doesn't believe in karma. It doesn't matter. It's happening, baby. Paul Osborne has, has shown an incredible and impeccable uh, knowledge of the Book of Abraham with the, the papyri, and the relationship with the Egyptian grammar documents and the book of Abraham. And at one time, he and I were apologetic buddies. And now we've both said, uh, no, that doesn't work. Well, Paul has also been showing some Book of Mormon geography, which I think is really excellent. He has he is showing on the Dr. Shade's message board. Now, the, the name of this message board, let me see here. Did I write this down? Dadgummit. Discuss Mormonism. Discussmormonism.com. 
Come and jump on this message board. It's in the terrestrial section. He's got it split up. The chat is on top. Then it's the celestial, terrestrial, telestial, and then outer darkness and spirit world and all that stuff where they talk politics and they get down and dirty and, and it gets ugly down there. But I like hanging out in the terrestrial forum, kind of the middle of the road. The celestial forum is for the really excellent scholarly, nice treatments where you do not call names, you do not argue necessarily. I mean, we have a good discussion and all. And so far, Paul has been inviting the Mormon apologists over there. Let's begin the dialogue. Well, we've had the dialogue before. And quite frankly, as an apologist, I got trounced. I didn't like it. It's no fun. So I get it. I understand why Peterson, Gee, Molstein, uh, and those guys are a little hesitant to come on over. In the celestial, that is heavily monitored. We're not kidding. We would have a just a normal dialogue with you if you would come over. You don't have to go to the terrestrial where we'll take your flipping head off, uh, which we will do because your arguments don't work. You think they do. So I think what's happened is the internet has forced... At first, there was an enormous amount of dialogue, and then the internet started beating the snot and spanking the bare little butts and whacking their peepees of the apologists, and they backed off and started their own groups and insulated themselves so that they can protect themselves and uh, so they can control the narrative. That's the best they can do in the internet age. Controlling the narrative is no longer an option for Mormonism. Thank God, because that's been the problem, is the control. Where was I? Yeah, Paul Osborne. I've got to show you a couple of these in case you're not uh, familiar with them. Paul Osborne has discussed the geography theory of the, now in the Book of Mormon, uh, I mean, really, truly, the main geographical feature of the Book of Mormon is the narrow neck of land. Yeah, right? Truly. And uh, I think Paul Osborne has that right. So this is his proposition for the narrow neck of land. That's the Chesapeake Bay, and that is the bottom of uh, Virginia there. You can see the, the southern tip there, surrounded by water way up north, right in the middle of your screen right now, where that red line touches each other is the narrow neck. That's one of Paul's pictures. There's, a, there's an easier one to see. Paul contends that that is the Book of Mormon geography in Joseph Smith's mind. Now, understand Paul's context is that what and Lucy Max Smith? I mean, it's undeniable. She she testified that for years and years and years, Joseph would entertain them with different stories. And he told all about the animals, their mode of travel, the clothing, the food, their wars, their politics. I, I mean, Lucy Max Smith says that. And this is when he was a kid. So he had years and years and years that he was rehearsing the book. Of Mormon. You know, the, the apologists love to really squeeze that down to a narrow 60-day time of translating, and that's the only amount of time he had 
that's not that's splitting hairs. That's technically not true. This is the land surrounded by water. There's your Book of Mormon land. Lehigh landed on the southern tip down there, way down there, right here in the south. And everything from there goes north, right, in the Book of Mormon geography. Now, after Paul began to elaborate on this, uh, someone mentioned, well, you're not the first one to come up with this theory. And Paul very graciously said, I really don't care who gets the credit. He said, I've been thinking about this for 15 years off and on, right? So this is good that people have been talking about this. So Paul freely acknowledged, no, I'm not the original founder of this. This guy has written a book on it. But other people have noticed this very interesting geography and how it fits so much better with the Book of Mormon geography than uh, the Mesoamerican model, right? And then someone asked him in the discussion, hey, could you label the different lands in the Book of Mormon? And so Paul graciously did that also, and I want to give him full credit for that. That's very nice. Bountiful up there in the north, Zarahemla in the center, and the land of Nephi down below. And there is nothing south of the land of Nephi in the Book of Mormon. And Paul contends that's because it's the water, it's the ocean. The land tip goes there and stops. It's a remarkably interesting theory. I am going to get that book that Paul referenced, but then he gives the clue, the golden key to the Book of Mormon geography about that narrow neck of land, and he gives the Book of Mormon scripture. It's a day and a half journey from south to north on that narrow neck of land up there in the north between the two seas, the East Sea and the West Sea. And then he shows how the other idea is, the one that's really interesting is, it was only a day's journey. Oh, did I get that right? Oh, I barely got the picture. You, I cut the arrow off up there in the north, sorry, going across horizontally. The Book of Mormon itself says takes a healthy Nephite a day to get across. And so that's basically a geographical idea that I told Paul. I Paul actually has been emailing me back and forth and asking me what I think of this and that and so on and so forth. Now, interestingly, Simon Southerton, yeah, that Simon Southerton, the DNA expert, the guy who absolutely wiped out the Lamanite DNA, he's down in Australia. He's a doctorate in uh, uh, DNA studies. I'll put, I'll say DNA studies. I don't know exactly what he's got his doctorate in, but he's truly legit. He got on there and he said, Paul, you have done a very good job on this. And, and he has. So again, this is on Dr. Shade's message board. So that's the news is I'm just sharing the good news. Uh, hey, ask me's jitters. Wow, 43 of us. Thank you for showing up, everybody. I'll try to say hi to you here in a little while when we have our little chat session. I'm trying to get through some news items. Here, my next item of news is uh, I'm going to be presenting a lecture on Zoom on Tuesday night at 6 o'clock Mountain Time. Uh, this is put on by my good friend, Dr. Trevor Luke. 
And we he's been doing this with several different speakers. My turn is this Tuesday night. If you want to join, um, you're going to have to send me your email. Don't put it here. Hold on. I should have done this ahead of time. I apologize. Uh, what, what you can do is you can contact me at my email, and I will make sure that Dr. Luke gets your email so he can send you a Zoom link invite. I'm going to be lecturing on the Mithras liturgy and the mysteries, and it's Dr. Luke's fault. <laughs> That I'm doing this subject. I jumped on this subject, and I mean, it's fascinating. It just blows me away how many, it's a syncretistic late Roman mystery religion. I'll put it that way, the Mithras, Mithraism. So I'm going to be lecturing on that Tuesday night, this Tuesday night, 6 p.m. Mountain time. There is my email that you need to contact me at and let me send him your email so he can send you a Zoom invite if that kind of thing interests you. He has another lecture. He has another couple lectures already lined up. We've already heard Peter Fleming, Dr. Peter Fleming, on his magnificent materials on uh, Joseph Smith and Jane Oh, I knew I was going to forget her name. Any, Jane Harrison? Man, that's embarrassing. I should have known that name. Anyway, uh, Dr. Peter Fleming did a great job on the, the influence of the 15 and 1600 philosophies on Joseph Smith. That was, that was quite remarkable. So that's that's another item. And... I, I also want to say that I have a an interview that I just recently did with Derek Lambert of the world-famous Myth Vision videos. Go watch it. The name of that is, I mean, if you want to. Uh, we just did this this last week. It was a great interview. He really does a good job. What is the Mithras liturgy? Just go type in Myth Vision and... Uh, hit the donate button for him. That kid is so good and he's so sharp. He is fun to do. And I, I, I am in the works for potentially this coming up week, if not this week, next week of having a YouTube interview with no stick informant. So I will let you know, um, on shades message board, uh, when that happens. So and I'm, I think I'll just tell my story about my life story about being an apologist and then not being one. But uh, No Stick Informant wants to interview me. And I also have a promise now, honest, this is big news, what I'm about to tell you here. Not me, who I'm going to interview. My first, my first live interview with a good scholar is going to be with Radio Free Mormon. Yes, I know you've never heard of him, but we we are we are putting something together to where in February I will be interviewing Radio Free Mormon here live. So and we'll let you know about that. So that's a little bit more news that I want to share with you. Oh, and in uh, 
that's some advantage. Yeah. Crisco bike, you're a smart aleck. <laughs> no, I suck at uh, I suck at uh, video technology so far, but I will get better. And in other news, now this is some of these shenanigans. This is some of the crazy stuff here. At BYU, the religious mission is inextricably bound up in the doctrine of Christ, they say. So they demanded, now get this, BYU, demanded and received from the federal government an exemption to Title IX in order to mandate short hair for all BYU men. Because, quote, religious tenets of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints prohibit compliance with section 86.31 B5 with regard to hair length requirements. The absurdity of the insistence that BYU must have an exemption from federal law because men must have short hair because it is bound up in the doctrine of Christ is so silly. And we've all heard, of course, that when at a BYU devotional, when one of the students piped up and he asked Jeffrey Holland, Elder Holland, he said, well, now, wait a minute. Why can't we have beards if Jesus had one? And Holland is said to have retorted, well, he didn't have one the last time I saw him. <laughs> yeah. Go, Jeff, go, right? And here's another item of news that I'm dying to share with you. On the blog, This Week in Mormons, we learned that the word of wisdom is, of course, against the proverbial hot drinks. Coffee and tea is how it's been interpreted, right? Because of the caffeine. So it is the caffeine in coffee that is forbidden, right? You can't do it because of that. Well, where does the caffeine in the soda drinks that we are allowed to drink, where does the caffeine from that from that come from? Coffee beans. <laughs> so there's beautiful consistency with Mormonism, right? <laughs> They'll let you drink the sodas. Thank goodness, because I love the sodas. Speaking of which, I got to put this over here so I don't spill it on my new computer. <clears throat> Oh, and then another real screwball situation happened just a couple weeks ago, too. The LGBTQ nation, this is online also, they revealed on January 17th, 2022, that BYU now threatens to arrest students who protest the Mormon school's anti-LGBTQ policies. Wow, <laughs> right? BYU quietly passed the rules. So typical, right? Behind the scenes, late at night. On December 2021, in updating its demonstration policy, almost a year. Now, this is the quote in LGBTQ Nation. Quote, Almost a year after queer students lit up BYU's iconic Y sign in the rainbow colors to show support for LGBTQ equality, 
BYU passed new rules that will prevent similar protests from ever happening again, unquote. You naughty boys and girls, you stop your protesting. And this was done to ensure student safety. Well, doesn't that make you feel better? They're just protecting the students, see? Yeah, thank you, BYU. Uh -huh. Well, Bradley Talbot, he is the one who organized the activity to light up the Y way up there on that hill, right, in the rainbow colors. He said that it wasn't a protest. <laughs> They've got it all wrong, which is no surprise, right? It wasn't a protest. It was more like a message or a, or a support for these students, right? And then he said, he said, this BYU policy, this new policy, this is just a scare tactic. But I'm not intimidated by it because BYU has always been more afraid of me than I am of them. Yeah, that's giving it to them, isn't it? Go, Bradley, go. All right, and another item. Finally, here we go. Dan Peterson, the former uh, czar of farms in the Farms Book Review, he now has a blog, Sick at Non, and he also runs a weekly uh, scholarly journal called Interpreter. And he's made sure for the last 88,347 million billion Fridays that an article has appeared, no matter how stupid, dumb, illogical, ridiculous, or unsupported it is, which is just pretty much about all of them, right? He doesn't care for quality. He wants quantity. And why? Because some anti-Mormon years ago said, oh yeah, sure, he'll probably start it and then it'll fade out. He won't get it every Friday night. So in order to refute that anti-Mormon, Dan Peterson makes sure there's an article every single Friday night, period, in Interpreter. We are great because we are refuting the anti-Mormon. But the quality just sucks, Dr. Peterson, as we've been letting you know. Well, he went on an adventure about a year ago, right? And he produced a film, and he is the executive producer of the film called The Witnesses, and it's a film about the witnesses to the Book of Mormon, one of Dan Peterson's favorite subjects, yes? And I mean, it's a good subject. So he he goes on and on and on on his interpreter and on his blog, Sick at Non, for the last year, trying to solicit funds, raise the money so that they can produce a very quality film. Well, he raised... Of dough. And yet the film had to make a million dollars back in order to break even. Well, what about the million bucks you made? Who knows where it went? <laughs> right? Here's the thing. As, as Radio Free Mormon says, here's the deal. Is he here yet? He said he might show up. Hey, Sam, how you doing? Sam Huff, my good friend Sam Huff. <laughs> okay, I don't see Radio Free Mormon. Holler at me when you get here, dude. Well, Dan Peterson's film, The Witnesses, has flopped 
in the box office. It did not make its million dollars back. It just didn't. Um, I believe last time I checked, it was right around the $800,000 range. And so it basically flopped in the big box office. And it had to make a cool million bucks. Anyway, it made a little over 800000 Now it's being streamed for free on YouTube. Hey, now we can all watch it because I'm not going to pay to watch the apologetic drivel and revising of, of the history of what really happened. You know, they're always going to put a, a faithful testimony spin on everything ever said by everybody and all of their wonderful, fulfilling life experiences, which is mostly BS. But we found out that it was yanked off of YouTube. It, it, it was put on. <laughs> And that was yanked off, right? So now, who knows why? Maybe it failed, and, and, and it's also failed to get anything going with Hulu or Netflix. And I mean, Dan made a big deal. About, no, it's not about the money. We just want to get as many people possible to watch this video, this film, I mean, as we can. And, and I mean, he had a professional production company come in, and, and they went the whole nine yards. They spent some big money on this thing, right? So... It's being shown now by some mom and pop organization called Deseret Video. And amazingly, even Dan is complaining that, well, the problem with this thing is it has glitches. <laughs> so it's not the best place to put it, whatever that means. Well, the reviews on the App Store, which has a review rate of 1.4 out of 5 stars, I mean, that is pathetic. Some of the reviews are just amazing in the negative. So the question automatically comes up, well, why don't you, Dr. Peterson, just simply put it on the interpreter website and your blog, Sick at Non, and show it to as many people as you can, right? What's the holdup? But he's not doing that. In fact, now he's off reviewing other Mormon-made films and not even talking about his own, which he wouldn't shut up about for the last year and a half or two. Yeah? So, some of the comments on the YouTube showing before it was yanked said this. Witnesses got some history right, all right. For example, there is a horse in the movie, and horses do indeed exist. Here's another one. Perhaps the closest the Mormon church has yet come to making, ow, my balls, <laughs> seems like a plausible future project. <laughs> wow. Here's another one. I'd rather gargle battery acid than have to watch it again. <sighs> or how about this one? After this financial and critical disaster, Peterson would be lucky to get a gig directing traffic. Ooh, yay. Here's another one. This is a failure of epic proportions. Dan Peterson has got to be a genius to make a movie this bad. And another comment said that witnesses is like taking a bus trip with someone who has needed a bath for a very long time. It's not merely bad. It's unpleasant in a hostile way. Ouch. 
right? I mean, holy, well, wow. So much for bearing your testimony in movie form, right? Like is what he wanted to do, of course. Selling Mormon propaganda history and fluff narrative doesn't seem to be so easy to do in our day of the internet. And isn't that what so many religious organizations are now discovering? Yeah. Now we can have a fertile and useful cross-examination. Now we can do the real discussing and we can get down to brass tacks, except for one problem. There's very few Mormon scholars now having that dialogue. They've all gone to making their own blogs and controlling the comments and, and kicking people off that they don't like when they get their argument refuted, etc. Because they hate being refuted, so they want to always be right. So they think this is their way of controlling the narrative. Well, sure, it fools a few of the Mormon people. But for the rest of us who also come online to discuss all sides of the issue, the Mormon problems are immense. And it does show. No joke. So... Hey, Arizona Central, I've got <laughs> Arizona Central showed something here. January 14th, 2022. Yeah, baby. I'm going to show this simply because this is too good to lose. They said on January 14th, 22, the Mormon nut job, now this is my description of him because this is what the idiot was, the Mormon nut job who stormed the Capitol building last year on January 6th, doing the Lord's holy work and saving our great republic from those wicked, dastardly Democrats. Well, he's the one that dressed up like Captain Moroni in this ridiculous-looking Halloween costume of a Roman gladiator. And he also had his banner, his rent banner, just like Captain Moroni. And he came to save the day. Well, he got his ass busted by the law who happens to have the true priesthood and true power in our country. And dingling Captain Moroni found out. He got busted with a misdemeanor charge. He was able to strike a plea deal. But anyway, I, I mean, we're, we're talking seriously embarrassing for Mormonism. Maybe next time the Mormon church ought to send Alma the Younger so that they can use persuasion instead of brute force, you know. I mean, this has got to be one of the most embarrassing things to Mormonism. And yet it's their own brainwashed doctrine that these clowns are acting out, imagining that it's going to impress anybody or even actually oh, work. Oh, you want to feel the power of the Nephites? I am Captain Moroni. Don't mess with me. I'll stick my flag up your nose. Take that, you heathen Gentiles. 
Come on, that's something you can't help but make fun of. That is so abjectly stupid. If I was his mom, I wouldn't even claim him anymore. If I was his dad, I'd beat his ass. Talk about idiotic. Okay, so that's the news. That's the news. Okay, how are we doing in the comments? Is anybody even listening anymore? No, we've only got 36 of us. And 13 likes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the name of the Witnesses movie? The Witnesses. That's the name of the movie. So, oh, did I? What did I miss? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's what I want to do next. Let's see. I've been going for, ooh, 48 minutes. I got to hustle. For, it's time for a. It's time for a serious comment. Uh, waiter, get me a hot dog. With pleasure, sir. No, with mustard. Yeah, that went over well. Well, did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? Great food, but no atmosphere. Okay, well, Stephen Colbert, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what I want to do is a uh, a quick book review here. I want to share, I think every week what I'll do is I'll share maybe one or two books that I've either read during the week or I have just recently read. And this last several months, thanks to Dr. Luke and I's conversations on the telephone and in the emails talking about the Mithras liturgy and all that, I have been reading boatloads of books. One I want to talk about just briefly, just give you a brief overview and share with you why I think that this one is well worth reading is Kieran Berry, The Greek Kabbalah. This is a phenomenal book. Really not too long either. 300 pages, 289, 289 pages. Here's the thing. Now, my good and dear friend and my brother, Joe Steve Swick, who is apparently very sick now, which really is sad. Uh, he taught me everything I know about the interrelationship between religion, mysticism. It is because of Joe that I became a Freemason for a while. And his interest was so broad and so deep. And the church just didn't understand what they had with him, which is their loss, of course. But uh, he was into the uh, the Kabbalah and the tarot card symbolisms and alchemy and hermeticism and Gnosticism and early Christianity and Judaism. He's the one that gave me the heads up on the Kabbalah center Zohar that has both the Aramaic and the English. And I got that set like 28 volumes. It's just huge. It's fabulous. And then I also have the Daniel Matt. He finished his translation in 2017. I have his 12 volumes with his scholarly apparatus, sensational stuff. Joe Swick told me, get Kieran Berry. We were doing some gematria together with the Hebrew and the Greek. And uh, we were showing each other stuff that we had found through the scripture, both the Old and the New Testament. <laughs> and some of the early uh, early writers and authors. And 
for every cool link, for every nifty little gematric idea that I found, Joe would present like five or six or seven or 10 or 20 or 200 more. And I am not kidding. He had tens of thousands of themes, ideas, and connections. And it just blew me away. And I, I finally, uh, I was on his email list, the Mormon mystic for a while, quite a few years with some wonderful people. I, I don't know where they all went. I, I wish I wouldn't have had to stop. But anyway, he recommended Barry's book for me. The thing I love about Barry is, number one, he is truly scholarly. I, I'm serious. This guy is the real deal. Now, the other thing about it is, is he doesn't get off onto and into the woo-woo, stupid, phony, mystical, uh, hokey views, interpretations, or gematric connections. He keeps it on a really solid level. And I loved that about him because when he showed the deep stuff, you found out it was for real. And I love that, man. I did. I, I can't help it. That, that, the alphabetic mysticism and numerology in the ancient world, this is how the ancients calculated stuff. There's no question about it. This isn't a new age stupid idea read back onto the ancient stuff in order to try to build up a supposed phony contrived spirituality. No. This is how the ancients did it. Well, Barry shows really excellent scholarship, research, and gematria. Not only with the New Testament, but he also discusses it with the, well, with the Roman historians and with some of the Greek historians. And so I thought his view was really, really good. After I got this and read it, and I read it the first day I bought it, I called Joe on the phone and I said, wow, you weren't kidding. And he goes, yeah, now, now that you've read Barry, check out this author and this author and this author. So I went and bought that book, that book, and that book, and read them, them, them. And then he said, oh, okay, now, did you notice the connection here? Now go buy this book by this gal and go buy this lady's book. So I did and read them. And I go, whoa, Joe. And he said, okay, now you're ready for this book and this book. And I just kept doing <laughs> what Joe told me to do. Holy knock you out, Batman. <laughs> Fun times with my beloved brother and dear friend, Joe Swick. I love you, dude. I know you can't understand me right now, but God, I miss you. You're awesome. So anyway, okay. That's my book review. Just, just a quick overview. Now, what I want to do, what I want to do is... Uh, take a drink of good old soda. No, it's mineral water or something. You got to hassle Mormonism every time you can. I have a, uh, I have a little bit of a uh, 
Uh-oh, is the video choppy? I hope not. <laughs> Libra sign with Kolob rising. I love it. I'm going to steal that from you. I'm going to say I'm Capricorn with Kolob rising. That's awesome, man. All right. I was going to name this, There Is Life After Sin, Guilt, and the Church. And seemed like a pretty good title. So, there is an anger phase. What I want to do is kind of give you some ideas on what helped me get through my uh, psychological devastation when I realized my shelf had broke. Because sooner or later, everybody realizes their shelf breaks. And then you go, oh, now what? Right? For real. So, and it's not fun. It's not a, uh, it's not a good situation. It's not pleasant at all. There is an anger phase. If you're in that anger phase, I get it. Look, I got to the point to where I was going outside, looking up to the sky, shaking my fist, flipping the bird, and swearing every swear word I could think of against my creator. I was that angry. I was mad. I was daring him to come down here and answer my prayers because I was going to hit him with a left hook like he'd never felt before. Well, that does subside somewhat. And different people go through a different length of anger phase, right? Well, then that brings on the guilt. And a lot, a lot of this guilt is because of the way the church has taught us, right? I, I mean, truly. Well, here's the thing. In my instance, I had a lot to lose. I was an apologist. I was a founder of a huge internet organization that the church definitely was aware of in a positive sense. And we definitely got the attention of the farms scholars and of the BYU studies group. And we got a lot of attention from a lot of people. And I got to be somewhat well-known, liked, and my shelf broke. Well, that can put some stress on you. And so I went through this anger phase. Then I went through this guilt phase because Mormonism gives you value, personal value, through it. Um, the idea, now, now, of course, they do like to pat you on the head and all, but they intimidate us, they manipulate us to being within it. There's always a hook that they catch you and pull you in. And they do that with uh, emotionally laden words, you know, honor your priesthood, the word priesthood, covenant. Now it's the new covenant path. Um, you know, don't betray your pioneer heritage. And they call people various different labels. Oh, what a faithful brother. Now, as long as you demonstrate your obedience the way they like to have it, 
they will make you feel like you're a celestial being. They'll pat you on the head. They'll they'll put their arms around you. Gosh, it's good to have such a great brother like you, etc. And what it does, now here's the subtlety, because what it'll do is it will inflame your ego. They build your ego as they cement you into the only value system that matters, theirs. They also have ways of cutting you down, of keeping you from rising too high so that you remain subservient to them. And this is through a guilt-inducing language, body language, lessons taught, the way some scriptures are interpreted, the way some scriptures are emphasized as opposed to others, etc. They do tie you in emotionally through this manipulative language, action, and teaching, right? Well, when you recognize that so much of this is, to put it mildly, bullshit, and you realize that doesn't work for me, then all of a sudden, that brotherhood, that sense of community, that idea of Man, you're so valuable. We love having you in church. You are you are so enlightening. You're wonderful. Come and be our Sunday school teacher. Come and give some sacrament meetings. They were even inviting me to give firesides to share what I was learning about the fantastic, supportive, prophetic proof in favor of Joseph Smith because of the Joseph Smith papyri, as used in the apologetic stance. They made me feel like a king, but they do that with every man and woman and child. When you begin to show a little bit of independence of either thought or action, at first, it can be subtle. Oh, hey, we missed you last week. Or, oh, we haven't seen you for a month, brother. Sure, it's got, welcome back. You know, they're like a big puppy dog wagging their tail. Oh, welcome back. And they give you big hugs and you say, wow, I missed all the, the feedback mechanism is very powerful. Don't ever make that mistake of thinking it's not. Well, this is true. I mean, you know, I say that about Mormonism. All right. I get it. Yeah. This is probably across the board with a lot, if not all, of the religious organizations. Heck, it's that way with a lot of social clubs as well, of course, because you're part of the group, right? Well, and this group think, this this theme, this psychological idea with group think is because everyone, and this is my interpretation, I'm open to being corrected, I know, I get this. This is Church Doctrine 101. But everyone in the group has this niggling within them 
that. Well, what, what if I really don't understand that scripture correctly? Or how, how come brother so-and-so uh, teaches that scripture means this, but sister so-and-so teaches it means that. And I like sister so-and-so's interpretation better, but I don't dare say anything because I'm afraid brother so-and-so is going to get mad. This, this, uh, this group think, I'll put it that way, this can be a tough thing because everyone in the group is questioning what they think they know. Especially those who stand up and say, I know with 100% certainty that Joseph Smith is a true prophet. Jesus is the Christ. The Book of Mormon is true. And President Russell M. Nelson is our beloved prophet, guiding and leading the church through revelation from Jesus Christ on a daily basis. This theme of certainty simply doesn't make sense when you're all by yourself late at night getting ready to go to sleep or taking a walk through the woods or taking a walk around the city block or riding your bicycle, whatever activity. Deep down, you're thinking, am I really certain, though? I mean, really? Um, I've heard testimonies in fasted testimony meeting, and everybody stands up there and says how certain they are and yet they don't understand the scripture the way I'm doing. Now, quite frankly, I've read 17 commentaries on the scripture from many different, I mean, Sister Hansen over here, she hasn't read Jesus the Christ, and she doesn't like Bruce R. McConkie, but I've read every one of their books. And what they're teaching in the church leadership position now uh, is way different than what she feels certain is true. My knowledge is different than hers. And quite frankly, I've been praying about my knowledge too. And the question is, how can I be so certain? And how can she be so certain? And how can Brother Jones over here be so certain? And yet none of us all have the same belief, right? You get to that point to where it gets seriously damn confusing. Most, and it's amazing, I can't remember who it was, Russell Nelson, don't quote me on this, but was it uh, one of the recent authorities? And I mean, just within the last five years, actually came out and taught, oh, are you having trouble with this particular doctrine? Or have you discovered something about the history that you haven't heard in church that seems to contradict what the church says? Go ahead and just put it on a shelf. It's okay. Just put it on a shelf. Someone actually taught that, man. I do believe memory flaw here, but that might have been in general conference. Well, they never taught that way when I was a kid. We were all just certain, you know, we we were told what kind of testimony to have and to bear that testimony proud and true because that was the truth. And all the little old ladies would come up and say, oh, Carrie, that was such a beautiful testimony. I mean, I was up there grabbing the microphone when I was four years old, testifying to the heavens that I knew it all was true. And I didn't even know my multiplication tables. I mean, come on, right? Well, this stuff gets to you. 
and it kills you psychologically when you make a decision. And you don't even have to let anybody else know that decision. I know I, I've been through these phases, man. I'm telling you. Some of us just vote with our feet. I'm not going back there. Nope, can't do that. Some of us have to keep attending, though. I mean, let's be practical. There are there are family issues, yeah, right? There's no reason to piss off the family. There's no reason to cause rancor and chaos. And, and on the other hand, just simply saying sometimes to your very spouse, we hear horror stories like this all the time. You know, well, I, I'm not so sure I believe in Joseph Smith anymore. And that just causes a huge blow up. Lots of family problems, lots of divorces, etc. Lots of issues. So the question is, because our built-in value has been laced with the group, how do you climb out of that pit when you no longer have that group support? And it can be very lonely. It really can. It can be very scary. It really can. I'm well aware of that too. You don't have to read Spencer W. Kimball's Miracle of Forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's gospel news right there. <laughs> yes, I read it. Back then, I tried to follow it. And that book is designed to build guilt in you. It's a horrendously horrible way to do it. But that's what it does. And there is a better way to climb out of this pit of self-loathing, even fear. I'm going to share with you what I did, how I did it, how am I doing? A minute 10, good. I'm going to share with you how I did this. In my opinion, this is just my view, but it was very, very helpful for me. And I mean, if if an idea strikes you that it's helpful, not everybody does the same thing. Uh, different strokes for different folks, so to speak. I hate to use a little stupid jingle and a cliche, but sometimes, yeah, it's religious grooming. I see Marco Brack F saying that. You guys are having a conversation while I'm trying to talk, and that's a good thing. Your conversation is probably better than mine. <laughs> Anyway, I'll keep going to share with you what I did, and then I'll chat with you guys truly through the, I've still got plenty of time. Um, this, this is what I call cheap Mormon pop psychology. They're, they're, well, I mean, the whole idea of, on the phone, brother shirts, this is the secretary to President Johnson at the church. President Johnson would like to have an interview with you. What time would be convenient for you? See, this whole corporate authoritative power play, that can be just unnerving. A lot of people, it just crushes them. Oh my God, they're calling me. I've got to go. What do they want? What, are they, what am I going to say? Oh my, oh my gosh. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, and that's very real. I'm not trying to mock this. I'm not trying to mock any of you if you've had that experience. That is a very real situation. 
And then they're behind their big authoritative desk. And they sit there and smile at you, lean back in their chair. And, you know, they're in total control. And you're the little weasel over there who's been sinning. Haven't seen you at church for six months, brother Shirts. Oh, I saw you sipping a beer the other day. What's going on? You know, you know, you need to repent. We've got some good books for you and all that. Well, I did. To get myself out of that gutter is I discovered, and it was, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to share this with you, because it was an accident. Now I'm calling it an accident, right? Now in a more spiritual, religious, thoughtful mood, I would say this was an absolute excellent fortuitous coincidence yeah i know and you get mystical mumbo jumbo and all that stuff well call it what you want this is how it happened with me i, I mean i don't know exactly how i can't remember but i remember the event without question i realized that the church wanted me to love it more than myself the great commandment, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the church wants to put itself between you and Jesus. I've said this in other videos, right? But it does do that because that's its power move. It has the true priesthood. It has the true mysteries, the temple endowment. And the only way you can make the highest celestial kingdom with all of your family is through us giving you the temple recommend. If we say no and you die, I'm sorry, brother shirts, you failed. Bullshit. Here's how it works. Here's how it works. It's okay sometimes to break that great commandment and forget about loving the Lord your God, forget about loving your neighbor, and learn to love yourself. The key is love, self-respect. There's a lot of people who don't have self-respect once because the church has beat them down so bad, right? But it's okay to think of yourself as number one instead of number three for a little while. And here's why, because for whatever stupid reason, somehow the King Follett discourse of Joseph Smith, the prophet, fell open one day. And I was sitting there just feeling like crap. Fell open and I start reading it. Yada, 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 yada. In that discourse, and it doesn't matter if you believe him or not, it doesn't It doesn't matter, I'm not kidding, don't worry about whether Joseph Smith's a true prophet right now. Don't worry about whether you believe in him or not. None of that's relevant. Here's what Joseph Smith said. This is, this is how this helped me understand the relationship between me and the church, me and the guys who had a, a quote, higher authority priesthood than I did. 
and therefore they were more valuable. So therefore they could call the shots and me, I had to obey. Isn't that a word they always love to use? Yeah, obedience, faithfulness, follow the covenant path, submit to be a disciple, answer all of the temple questions correctly, the temple questions which we have chosen for you. Now, they won't put it that way, but that's the fact, right? Joseph Smith himself, in the King Follett discourse, interestingly enough, taught a most significant doctrine that every man, woman, child, and God has an eternal existence. It was never made. It was never created. It was never born. You are eternal. So, and the way Roberts interpreted it, I think they called them intelligences, you know, an eternal intelligence that end. And some of the interpretations really got wild and loopy and interesting. So the intelligences were given a spirit birth first, and then the spirit was given a here we are. Uh, uh, we are spirits having an in-body experience, so to speak, right? That's one of the interpretations. Forget all that noise. The part that struck me is this. I am an eternal being. Independent of all other ones. Now, I studied the cosmology, you know, the physics, the math, the quantum junk, the, the Big Bang, the chemistry, the philosophy of the cosmology, etc. And uh, Joseph Smith said, I'm an eternal being. What? happened was it dawned on me that in that case being an eternal being and so are all others that I see and know and all those other others that I don't see and don't know <laughs> pretty much all of us everybody is an eternal being and therefore I have all the authority there has ever been. And so does everyone else. Because there's nothing you can do to end me. I'm an eternal being. Now, what that did for me <clears throat> is it reached out, grabbed the authority that the church claimed over me and pulled it back to where it belonged. And I recognized in that moment, the church only has as much authority over me as I decide it should have. And that was huge. That was huge. That's huge. Then I found a book. 
Alan Watts, The Book. On the taboo against knowing who you are. And I read that book. That's why you don't have to read Spencer W. Kimball. <laughs> I've never read anything of his since I went through that miracle of forgiveness. Once I started reading Alan Watts, he essentially, in different words, using different analogies, using different symbolisms, using a different religious tradition or traditions, he's comparing and cross-referencing and contrasting so many other different scriptural uh, spiritual traditions. But what he does is he showed me that tatvam asi. Thou art that. And the context, the, the information, the context of that saying is that all that is is not out there separate that it is you extended to use a metaphor or is it literal and what alan watts did that Spencer W. Kimball and all of my state presidents and all of my bishops and all of my primary Sunday school and sacrament meeting teachers failed to do was he built in personal value and authority for me, not in an arrogant, authoritative, now I have the authority over you. That's not it. And it so amazed me that I said, wow, I want to read more of this guy. So I did. The Two Hands of God. Fantastically interesting cosmology in relation to what Joseph Smith himself said. Now, um, I've got it here, right here. Unfortunately, he died early. Eric Robert Paul, one of the best books I have ever read, Science, Religion, and Mormon Cosmology. He demonstrated that early in Mormonism, the, uh, the brethren were very cosmologically oriented. Uh, they loved studying the uh, eternal, infinite um, context reference to us, both as groups, you know, because they, of course, the early brethren with Joseph Smith, they loved the concept. See here, the, this group think again, this psychology, the concept of Israel. Well, you were born under the covenant. I mean, is that not an emotional? <clears throat> they, they've got a way to word things that scare the hell out of you if you become disobedient from their interpretation. But they're the brethren. They have the authority. 
They have been called. They have the keys of the priesthood. Boy, there's another big one right there, right? Keys of the priesthood. The covenants. You don't want to break your eternal covenants. Well, that intimidates you. It frightens you. It causes you to cower. And which means that you become subservient. They have more authority over you. And all they're doing is choosing emotionally based words that you have agreed have the meaning that they say they have. Once I realized, based on the King Follett discourse from Joseph Smith himself, that if I am an eternal being, then I have the power to find out the meanings of the words. I have the power. I have the capability. I have the, uh, the skill, the talent, the, the, the wherewithal to learn for myself. And since I'm eternal, now listen, understand this. I, I don't care if you think the doctrine is true or false. That's not what I'm talking about. Just as the default, Joseph Smith said we're eternal. Now listen, I am an eternal being. That means I have it all. I have always been. Understand this. Eternal means you know it all already. You have all of the authority and your existence can never be threatened or snuffed out. No one can tell you where you have to go. You're an eternal being, co-equal, co-eternal with God. That's how that particular thought struck me. So I read another one, Zen, Alan Watts. And I said, dang, that was interesting. So I read another one. The Wisdom of Insecurity, Alan Watts. And I noticed something remarkable begin to happen. The light began. The day looked brighter. I'm serious, man. The trees became more interesting again to look at. They became more colorful, more real, more pleasant. I actually, in my adulthood, did stupid things like climb a tree again like I did as a kid. I could feel it. I could smell it. I could enjoy it from a different perspective up there in its branches. I could sit in it and wave with the tree in the wind. I became that tree's friend. And I said, hot dang, man. I love this guy. The meaning of happiness. The meaning of happiness. Give me some more. The Way of Zen, Alan Watts. Give me some, 
feed me. I became hungry. I became excited because I realized it's not a group that can qualify or quantify your self-worth. That's not where it comes from, you guys. Psychotherapy, East and West. Alan Watts, give me some more. Alan Watts, Cloud Unhidden. Man, I'm feeling good. Give me some more. The collected letters of Alan Watts, all of his correspondence while he went through his life with, with his parents, with other colleagues and people. And I said, wow, give me more. And I didn't get any more because there was no more, I thought. And then one time in the bookstore, bam, hey, a new Alan Watts book. Become what you are. After he died, he gave thousands of lectures that were tape recorded. Well, his children are on the ball enough that they have been taking those tape recordings and editing them and publishing them each year as a new Alan Watts book. And there's enough material that they'll be able to kick out another 50 of them. I'm not going to live long enough to read everything this man ever taught, which sucks. But each and every year, out of your mind, Alan Watts, each and every year, you have a new book a new approach, a new outlook. And every one of these books are enhancing the universe for you. They are helping you learn and appreciate the beauty of the world, the water, the land, the animals, the insects, the light, the dark, the stars and the mud. Your hands, your eyes, your ears, the hair you have if you have hair, the ability of your mind to be able to think, the capability of walking with your legs, the joy of having friends, the thrill of being good neighbors, the option of being integrated and involved, or the option of saying, you know what? I'll sit this one out. I would like to just be alone for today. No big deal. I'll see you tomorrow. The ability to say no and the ability to say yes. He builds your Soul up is brand new one, just so. So once a year, once every other year, I'll put it that way, because I'm pretty busy with other research right now, man. Once a year, once every other year, I try to systematically read every. Now, of course, he has 25 more that I haven't. I've seen the list of books on the inside of these covers. Uh, one, I ran out of money, but two, this is vastly more uplifting, spiritually delicious reading than anything I ever found worrying about doctrinal truth. We must obey the doctrine, brethren.
Oh, that's false doctrine. You heathen, you repent and apostate. You don't become an apostate on my watch. You repent and you believe what we teach you. Because we teach you the truth. Doctrine. We have to have true doctrine. I say kiss off to doctrine. Because that's not what life's about. Life isn't about doctrine. Life isn't being about being correct. Life isn't about being smarter than others. Life isn't being about being more, what would you say, righteous than your neighbor. Or, hey, I'm richer. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. I'm bad because I'm richer than you are. I got me a new car. Yeah, I can buy me the $60,000 castle or the 60,000 square foot castle on top of the mountain. That's to miss the whole point of life. And that doesn't give you happiness. Conforming to someone else's expectations doesn't give you happiness. That's not where it's at. But here's the catch. Here's the kick. And then I'll quit. Yeah, I've gone, a, I've gone an hour and a half. I've been preaching like a preacher, haven't I? So sorry. Well, not really. But here's the catch. It's not about authority. It's not about worrying about who has the authority and who doesn't. That is irrelevant to a fulfilling life. Yeah. Because the church is in it for them, for itself. And, and you can make them happy eternally by doing everything they want, but what about your life? It's not about meaning. Now, this is the interesting thing. Become what you are. Because you are something. But you're not it right now. <laughs> And yet you are. But what you have to do is you have to recognize who you are and become that. Recognize, recognize, rethink. Because through inspiration, God breathing in you is the literal meaning of the word. When you're inspired, the spirit reminds you. Now, the Spirit reminds you. It opens your mind. You are reminded. You're shifted. You shifted a perspective. You're reminded through the inspiration, the in-breathing, and you recognize and you become what you are. You are something completely separate from any group. And your value does not come from any other group. You do not need anyone else's approval. Now, I'm not trying to preach anarchy and everybody just goes do their thing. No, the basis is not on doctrine, on conformity, on obedience. 
obedience on scripture, on truth, or even on God. It is on experience. And the best experience, because it is such a positive emotion, is love. Guilt, fear, hate, anger closes you down. And you get dark. Love opens you up. And that's a great experience to go through. Right? If you haven't done it, you're on your way. In the process, what love will do is it will open you up so that you can respect others even when they differ with you. And even when they argue against you, and when they write against one of your arguments, you never take any of that personal anymore. There's no reason to. You don't have to. It's not even a bother or a worry. You can actually respect that person and say, oh, wow, that's an interesting point of view. Uh, I don't quite see it that way, but I'll consider that. That's, that's cool. Me, I, I like to think of it like this. And instead of having an argument of trying to prove who's wrong, who's right, and when you're right, what's that do? It puffs you up in pride. See, I told you, I'm correct. I've got the doctrine right. <laughs> yeah, that means I'm better than you because I'm right and you're not. All of that stupid noise just kind of dissipates. It disappears. It's not even important for you to even try to be right or to be correct or to be smarter or to be better because that is building the ego. And it is the ego that you have to drop to be able to experience the cosmic love. Now I'm sounding new agey sort of guru junk, right? But that's how it works. <sighs> Quite a sermon. I did not mean to do that. That's just kind of, I get going and that just kind of, I did a data dump. But that realization for me has been very helpful. So I wanted to pass that on to you. I, I just wanted to say, you know, tonight I, I've got to share this with them because I love you, my audience, and I, and I love these, you know, I love these meetings and these ideas. What the heck? Hey, we're all in it together. We're all trying to learn and figure this stupid stuff out, right? I mean, we were all thrown onto this earth with absolutely no instructions anywhere. <laughs> You know, in a way, that kind of pissed me off there for a while. That was part of my anger phase, you know. What are you doing to me, throwing me here without letting me remember anything or whatever? Or the real Lulu is, you're not even real. I don't believe it. That's quite a path to take. That's the one I went down for a while. Now, you know what? I'm wasting my time talking to you up there. You're not even there. <laughs> 
So anyway, I, I've said enough. I, I've done enough. What I wanted to introduce you to, what I wanted to share with you is there really is a way through any of the issues in life. And I know you guys, it can be emotional. It can be gut-wrenching. It can be angering. Uh, don't do anything stupid and illegal. You know, unfortunately, there are wives out there who go get the gun and shoot their husbands. <laughs> Horror. There are guys out there that just beat the snot out of their wives. Horror. That's, that's, no, 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 no. You're, you're focusing too much on the ego. Me, 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 me. And I know I just told you just a few minutes ago, you know, ignore the great commandment for a little while. Forget about God and forget about neighbor. Focus on yourself. But don't stay there for crying out loud because actual love is not a noun. It's a verb. It's what you do. You don't talk about it. You don't say the word. You do it. You do it. You do it. And that means you do it with a uh, you share, you give of yourself. And the greatest paradox, the most ironic thing begins to happen. And you won't believe it until you actually do it. And I'm not doing it on any great magnificent scale, but I've done a few little experiments. And no kidding, man, this thing works. The more you give, and I mean, just I, you know, smile every day to everybody for one day. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? And then to someone who you can tell is just, you can kind of sense it, you know, someone at work that is just down, walk up to him and say, hey, did I tell you what a great job you're doing today? And mean it. You know, share. Give of yourself. Give it away. Give it away. Because it starts coming back and it's pretty cool what happens sometimes. <laughs> and I know you say, oh, see, that's egotistical. That's hedonistic. Yeah, in the short end it is. But what you're trying to do is get yourself out of that stupid pit that really isn't even real, but your psychology has has brainwashed you into thinking that you're in that pit of sin and dark and Satan is influencing you and you are in so much trouble. You obviously need my help in repenting. I have the priesthood. I can help you. But there's several steps that you need to take first. You see how that puts you down. That's not love. That's authority, right? Well, love is the opposite of authority. But the church ain't going to teach you that. You get to discover that yourselves. I'm here to tell you it's possible. Now, listen, I, I kept going for another 10 minutes. I am shutting up now. Thank you for listening to my obfuscation. Uh, anyway, um, I'm, how is everybody? Anyway, so it looks like there's 40 people here. I saw 50 people here a little earlier. 18 likes. Thank you. I'm not worthy, but it's a lot of fun. So what is good Alan Watts to start reading? My 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 Alan Watts book that I began was uh, the one I started with was the book. Holy cow, I've got too many of these, man. This one right here, the book on the taboo against knowing who you are. That is a beautiful book. 
Uh, a newer one, it's a little bit older. A new one when it's become what you are. And another real brand new one just out is Just So. This one's fabulous. I've already made a video of this one. And then my very favorite is Out of Your Mind. Uh, absolutely beautiful. Every page has something cool on it. Every page of every Alan Watts book has something cool on it. But those are the four I would recommend. Oh, thank you. Thank you, BYP, for this. You bet. Esme's jitters. You betcha. Bye, y'all. Videos. Oh, I'm sorry. It's breaking up. Dadgummit. I wonder if it's... I apologize. See you guys. All right, you guys. Yeah, everybody's... Yeah. You guys have been here long enough. I've kept you long enough. I'm going to go ahead and close this out, and then what I will do is I will look through the videos, and we can talk in the comments, okay? So thank you so much for showing up. Uh, it's a fun Sunday night chat. It's time to go do something else. I've got to go to work tomorrow, so maybe I better get ready for bed. But All right, you guys, thanks so much. This is the Backyard Professor signing off. I will be back next Sunday. I should have said that, dang it. I'm going to try every Sunday, 6 o'clock, you guys come back. And I will learn how to do a, a preview and a schedule and all that jazz. I will get more up on the electronics. So you guys have a good, safe week. Be good, do well, have fun. And I will see you in the next Backyard Professor live Sunday library.